Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the spring and summer, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Through a Mirror Darkly. The idea behind this series is that we will look at various themes that are universal to the human experience. Each week, we will take a different theme and examine a single or several different stories from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading is from Proverbs 23. Hear, my child, and be wise, and direct your mind in the way. Do not be among wine-bibbers or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth, and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who begets a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I know it's hard to believe, but we have come to the end of this sermon series. Through a mirror darkly, I know. I just shot by, didn't it? Most of you were like, I was on vacation most of the time, so I wasn't here for it. <laughs> but I'm excited about this series. I really love this series because of all the various stories that we got to hear throughout the summer. And today is the last one. For those of you who may have been, haven't been here before, the way the sermon series works is that we are looking at stories from uh, the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. And so each week what you see up on the screen are these pictures, and you're going to hear the interviews narrated by members of our congregation. And then the idea is that we're delving down deep into these themes that are universal to the human experience. And a lot of these things that you're going to see are very different from what you've experienced in your life, but that's okay because it's like looking through a mirror darkly. It's through those experiences that we come to a deeper understanding of what it means to live our lives out as a Christian. So you ready for the last one of these? All right, let's look at it. I'm glad I had a daughter. Ever since my grandmother died, I've needed the female energy in my life. It's good energy. I mean, when things go wrong, another man can tell you that everything is going to be okay, but not like a woman can. What's the best piece of advice your dad has ever given you? No excuses. My dad was a blackout, abusive drunk. I've been on my own since I was 16, and after that, it was nothing but abusive relationships and hell. Mark was the only guy who'd ever been nice to me. We were married for five years. He'd bring flowers to my office. He would make me a bubble bath in the morning before I woke up. He even treated my daughter like she was his own. He didn't say our daughter. He always called her my daughter. He'd even watch me sleep. 
I could never sleep because of everything that has happened to me, but I could sleep when I was with him. And he knew that, so he liked to watch me sleep. One night I woke up and he was watching me sleep like he always did, but I leaned over to kiss him and he was cold. It's been over a year now. For a while I was so depressed that I couldn't leave my room, but I'm trying to get my life back together. What's your favorite thing about your mother? She loves life more than anyone I've ever known. I hope she doesn't mind me telling you this, but recently she's had some health problems and her health got so bad at one point, she called me and said, I was starting to wonder if there was any reason to go on, but then I had the most delicious pear. I grew up in a blue collar family my dad was a printer, a union guy, so he didn't have the financial resources to pay for my college or law school. I had to make my own way. I flipped burgers during the week for frat guys at the student union. I covered my tuition by spending summer in the Marine Reserves. I'm trying to make sure my kids don't have to do all that stuff. I want them to be able to backpack through Europe or volunteer in Central America, meaningful stuff. If my son wants to be a poet or a chef, that's fine with me. I work 60 or 70 hours a week to make sure they can do whatever they want. I miss a lot of stuff though. I have to hear about the soccer game secondhand. That's why the snowstorm this weekend was so great. No school commitments, no work commitments. We didn't do much at all. Just sat around and read the newspaper, watched TV. There was just a lot of talk. So, when I say the word family, I know that that word can elicit all kinds of different reactions from people, right? So sometimes I say the word family, and it brings a reaction of adoration. Some of us adore our families. Some of us really love our families, true, right? We love our families deeply, and we do anything for them. Sometimes, though, we're ambivalent about our families. Like, we, we like them. They raised us. They brought us into the world, but we don't know. And then sometimes there's that complicated family dynamic, right? There's the tough things with family members. And then sometimes you mention family and you feel that hostile rage come out that comes with some people. So there's this whole, this whole way that our families imbue us with all of these traits. And at their best, I think we would agree that our families are really there to give us life, love, shelter, comfort, and they give us structure. They show us how to live in the world. They allow us to reach our potential. Is that true? Would you, would you say that's at their best? That's what families do? Yes? At their worst, though, families can break us. Families can raise us to the point where we feel we don't have the spirit to do what we were intended to do. And that's tough because it happens to a lot of people. And today, what you saw from Humans of New York is you saw the gamut. You see people who have really good families, all the way down to people who have really bad families. And I want to start with those positive dynamics and we'll work our way into the most negative. So, to start, I want to look at this guy right here. So, I really love this guy's story. I love the way he talks about needing female energy in his life. And he says, you know, a man can sit there and tell you everything's going to be okay. But it's not quite the same, is it, when a woman tells you it's going to be okay. And he talks about how his grandmother died a little while ago and he hasn't had an opportunity to really have a woman in his life, and now he has his daughter. And you can tell how much he loves her. You can tell how he dotes on her. And I think there's something really magical about that, about a parent 
who's willing to set aside and shift their values and priorities to accommodate this little human that's in their life, right? I have to admit to you, I was kind of mystified by this when I was young. Like, how could anybody do that? I mean, I assume, like you guys, most of you in here probably like doing your own thing. I like doing my own thing. Like, I'll tell you that right now. So it was kind of crazy to me to think about how at a certain point, these people were willing to give up all their freedom for this little creature in their life. Like, who would want to do all of that? I just couldn't understand that. And then I had my own kids. And even if you haven't had children, by the way, you can still understand this, I think. Because you could have seen it with your parents, or maybe even friends of yours that have had children. It's like you become a completely different person. It's like your whole life is reoriented around this creature who has different priorities than you do, and you start to invest in things you would have never invested in before. So for me, I thought I was done with Legos a long time ago. <laughs> and yet today, I spend lots of time building Legos. I watch television shows about Legos. And even more than that, I've come to care about the characters in those shows. This is Ninjago. I'm sure many of you have in here have never watched that show before. You should. It's a good show. There's like nine seasons of it. You can just keep taking it in. Trust me. It's really good. It's good. They keep coming up with new plots. You would think they never could. Good writers on that show. So when you have a child, it reorients you in ways that would make you care about things like this when you never thought you would. It also reorients you to make you do things to work very hard. It's why you would work 60 to 70 hours a week to make sure that your kids have everything that they not only need, but that they want. I get what this guy right here is going through. This fellow is a lawyer. He worked very hard to get to where he is so that he could provide for his family. And I relate to him so much because that's what my father did for me. My father worked very, very hard to give me a good life. He spent a lot of time away from the home. He was up early, he was out of the house, and I would see him come home late at night. And, you know, I know many of you in here, whether it be parents or grandparents, they worked hard to make sure that you had the opportunity to have a good life, and you didn't have to go through what they went through growing up. Now, as a kid, I think that can be very hard for us to appreciate. Would you agree with that? I mean, it is. My father was never at my t-ball games. I met my kids' t-ball games all the time. My father was never there. And I thought to myself, well, maybe he just doesn't like watching my sports. But most of the time, the reason why he wasn't there is because he was working, so that I could go enjoy those sports. And it's only as you get older that you come to appreciate it. And so the thing that I find interesting about this story right here, about this young boy who's watching his father graduate from Columbia, is that he can appreciate that. I mean, here's this guy. Think about it. He's graduated from Columbia University, Ivy League institution. That's a big deal right? Now, most of the time when you go to school, most people who are in school are between the ages of 18 and 22. They don't have families. They can just focus directly on school, right? This guy has clearly got to work. He's got to, you know, earn money so that he can go to school. And then on top of that, he's got to come home and then do his studies. He's got to get intense into that. He's got to do these papers. He's got to study for tests. Got to do projects. I mean, that's a lot. And you would think that this kid, that he would be upset that his dad took all that time away. But when Brandon asks him, and he says, what's the best piece of advice your dad ever gave you? What does he say? He says, no excuses. No excuses. Now that shows you that that young boy understands the sacrifice that his dad was willing to make. 
And I have to tell you, I didn't understand the sacrifice my dad made until I was in my early 20s. It took a while for me to really get it. And once I understood what my dad had done for me, it kind of changed my perspective of him. So when my father would speak to me, no longer would I sit there and just assume my dad was going on a dad rant. Do you know what dad rants are? Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Where your dad just starts talking, and it used to be I'd just like tune it out, okay, till, till he's done, and then I'm back. So I started listening to the things he was saying, and I realized that they had some value, that they actually made sense. And on rare occasions, don't tell him I said this, rare occasions he could be quite profound, but don't let that get back to him, because I don't want him to get too big of a head. So the thing is, my father, he gave me a lot in my life, and it took me a long time to realize what that meant. And once you understand what your parents give you, particularly if they've done a good job, it can put their lives in a whole new light. You can see that with this woman right here. So she talks about how her mother loves life more than anyone she knows. And I love the example she uses in this, right? So her mother, her health's failing, and she gives her daughter a call, and she says, I was wondering if there was any reason to go on, but then I ate the most delicious pear. <laughs> now, that's meant to be funny, right? But at the same time, there's truth in that. The truth is that this woman can find meaning in eating a piece of fruit, which shows you that she really enjoys the best that life has to offer, yes? Absolutely. And this is what our families do for us. At their best, they not only show us how to live our lives, but they show us how to appreciate the best that life has to offer. And this is what the author of Proverbs is talking about when he says this, listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who begets a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. When a family unit is working in a symbiotic way, where all of the members are there for each other, they're there to boost each other up, help each other out, it's a beautiful thing to witness. The Parents are there to bring the best out in the children, and the children bring out the best out in the parents. Now, I'm not talking about a perfect family. I'm talking about a family who's there for each other through thick and thin. I'm talking about a family who, even when they hurt each other and they make mistakes, their love binds up those wounds and brings them back together so that they're a strong family unit. Now, some of you, I know you're sitting there and you're saying, Alex, that doesn't sound like any family I've ever met. And I understand that if you felt that way. Because the truth is, those families don't happen by accident. That takes a lot of dedicated work on the part of a family. There's intentionality behind that, from the children all the way up to the grandparents. And if even one of those people is off, it can change the entire dynamic of the family. You know what I'm talking about? You do, don't you? Particularly when a parent or an adult who's supposed to lead the family, when they are struggling, when they are suffering, that can bring negativity and toxicity into the family environment to the point where it can be unbearable for the people around them. And that's what you see in this story from this young woman. She talks about how she was raised in the household of an alcoholic. And as a result, she ends up having to leave her home at 16 because she was getting abused so badly by her father. Now, is that something that you can relate to? Probably not, many of you in here. That's a pretty severe situation to have to just leave at the age of 16. And this poor woman, after she gets out on her own, she ends up inviting those same people into her life over and over and over again, which is understandable. 
Because when you grow up around toxic people, it is very common for you to bring those same toxic people back into your life. It's why we end up repeating the cycles of violence, abuse, and addiction. It's why it happens in families over and over again. But those cycles do not have to continue forever, do they? So this woman, she finds her husband, a man named Mark, who shows her respect and dignity. He treats her with kindness and love in a way that nobody ever has before. And how does she talk about this? I love it. She talks about how he would make her bubble baths, right? In the morning before she'd go to work. He'd give her flowers at work. He treated her daughter as his own. He showed her unconditional love. If you were here last week for Beatles Sunday, we talked about that agape love, that unconditional love. It was like something out of a fairy tale. But then what happens? Five years in, she wakes up one night, and he's gone. He's passed away. Now, I can't imagine what that must have been like for this woman. I mean, that must have been devastating. Here, all this woman has known throughout her whole life was pain and torment, and then this one guy who shows her love gets torn out of her life. I don't know how you recover from something like that. I don't know how you build the pieces back together. And I'm not just saying for her. I'm talking about all of us in here. Because here's the thing. We don't live in the world that we used to live in. We don't live in a world where we're in the same town that our families grew up in, and you've been there for generations, so that when something really difficult happens, when tragedy strikes, everybody comes together and helps you through that. We live in a world that is transient. We live in a world where people are moving all the time, and so that support network that you have is often very thin or non-existent. And the reason my heart breaks for this woman is because you can tell that she doesn't have anybody. She talks about it. She says at the end, she locks herself in her room to get through it. But normally, what would happen? Normally, you go to your family of origin, wouldn't you? Those are the people who come in. They come in, they're going to help you out. She had to leave them behind because they were abusive. So even if they wanted to be there, she's like, no, thank you. And I wish that I could have gone up to this woman. I wish I could have seen her, and I wish I could have said, please come to our church. Let us be the family that you never had. Jesus tells us that the church is intended to be a family. That is what we are here for. We saw that today in the Gospel of Mark. That's what Jesus is talking about. So, do you remember what happened? Jesus, he's sitting around, he's having some conversations, and some people come and say, hey, Jesus, I just want you to know, uh, your mother and your brothers, they're looking for you. And he looks at the people in this room who he's talking to, and he says, who are my brother and my mother? And he looks at the people and he says, whoever does God's will are my brother and sister and mother. Now this moment in the gospel, it's short. I mean, how many verses is that? That's like, what, three verses? 33, 34, 35? Very, very short. This verse is so important because what it indicates to us is that the church is a family, and that family is not based on bloodline, it's not based on lineage, it's not based on DNA. It's based on a shared belief in God. It indicates to us that in the church, where you've been, where you come from, is not nearly as important as where you are going. At its best, the church is a family where you can come and meet people and have a fresh start, and those people are going to love you and accept you for who you are, no judgment, and you can become the person who God intended you to be. That is the church at its best. Now, for those of us who grew up in good families, positive families, families that showed us love, the church is often like a second family. 
For those of us who grew up in difficult situations, where we struggled, where we weren't shown that love, the church will often be a first family for us. But just like all families, the church can be positive, the church can be negative, the church can be healthy, the church can be toxic. The difference between a healthy church and a toxic church is that the healthy church is constantly being guided by the principles of love and acceptance for all people. That is the difference between the toxic church and the healthy church. Now, there are lots of churches. You will find lots of churches that say that they are guided by the principles of love and acceptance. But there are very, very few of them that can actually carry it out. Many churches struggle with this. And the reason why they struggle with it is because we as human beings, our natural inclination is to form groups of like-minded people. We are tribal. That is in our DNA. It's what we do, right? You're going to find people who are like you. If you have been here for any period of time, over 10 years, you probably know what I'm talking about. If you've been here for a long enough period of time, you have formed deep bonds with people in this church, varieties of people. You've watched your kids grow up together. You've served on committees. You've gone on mission trips. You're in Bible studies together. You have all this shared history. Now imagine for a moment that you're a visitor and you're coming in for the first time. You have none of that shared history. You don't know any of that stuff. Don't you think that would be a little bit daunting to come in and say, hey, I'm interested in becoming part of this family? So I'm telling you this because I want you to understand that when somebody walks through the doors, because they don't have that shared history, it is not enough for us to sit there and to say to a visitor, you are loved and accepted. And then we turn around and we go right back to the groups that we've always been talking to. Not enough. No, if we're going to make this work, if we're going to become the type of church family that Jesus intended for us to be, then we have to be intentional about making sure that the people who walk through our doors feel welcomed and accepted for who they are. We have to do that and put out extra effort. Can I give you an analogy to help you understand what I'm talking about? So, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So, yes, I can. I said, can I? She said, yes. Okay. So, have you ever had anybody in your family get married? Raise your hand if you have. All right. Now, when that person is getting married, when you go to meet the person who they are marrying, do you assume that that person knows everything about your family? I certainly hope not. No. What you're going to do is you're going to sit down and you're going to get to know that person, aren't you? You're going to take special care with them. You're going to say, hey, how'd you grow up? Where'd you come from? Tell me about your family. Tell me about all the experiences you've had. And then, once you've done that, you're going to ask, so why do you want to become a member of our family? And once you find that out, then you're going to tell them all the details, right? You're going to start talking about your family. You're going to say, okay, here's the thing. You want to get to know Uncle Eddie. He's a great guy, smart guy. He's really nice. He's going to help you in tough times. You want to stay from, away from Aunt Mildred, though, okay? She's a kleptomaniac. She will literally steal the wallet right out of your pocket, okay? She's crazy. Stay away from her. She's quick, too, okay? She's old, but she's quick. So... You're going to tell them all the positives. You're going to tell them all the quirks that come along with being in your family, aren't you? And then, at just the right moment, you're going to go up to them, and you're going to say what my father said to my wife before we got married. And what he said to her is, I want you to know, we do anything for family. Now, I really believe that that should be the mantra of our church when it comes to visitors. We are loving, 
We are accepting. We do anything for family. Now, I think that's so important for us because at the end of the day, when we have somebody new come through our doors, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, we need to see them as a new potential member of our family. And that rests on every single shoulder that is in this room. Everybody is responsible for that in here. I'm going to tell you all something, and you're not going to want to hear this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway because you need to hear it. When I got here six years ago, I realized something about this church. And I realized that this was a very closed community. I'm not trying to say that you all aren't friendly. You're very friendly. Don't get me wrong. But you got your groups, and you got your friends, and it's very hard to break in. And the proof of that is that we had many people join this church when I got here. Many, many people. And you can go through that list, and you can see people who have left. And I've talked to some of those people, and they told me that the reason why they left is because they felt like they could not make friendships here. They could not gain relationships here. They were, it was too hard for them to break in. It was too closed off. Now, in the six years that I've been here, I have seen improvement. We are much more open than we used to be, but we are not hitting the bar. And I'll give you an example of this. Last week was Beatles Sunday. Wonderful Sunday. One of the best Sundays we've had in a long time. We had a ton of visitors in this church for Beatles Sunday. At the end of that service, I heard a story about one of the visitors who was here. It was a couple. They went out into the narthex afterwards, and they tried to talk to four different people. Sometimes it was groups, sometimes it was individuals. They made an effort. And out of those four people, none of them responded to them. Zero. They made the effort. It's not like they were sitting back hoping somebody would talk to them. They went to those people and tried to talk to them. And out of those four people, nobody was willing to engage with them. Nobody's willing to say, well, are you new here? Oh, where'd you come from? It's really nice that you took the time to come to the service. Did you enjoy it? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Nobody made that effort. My friends, that has got to end. Because if we do not do better when people walk through our doors, if people come in here and they feel like they cannot break in, we're done. I'm going to tell you that right now. We're not going to make it. That is on every single person in here. And to move this along, I am actually creating a new volunteer position. It's called Community Liaison. And this person, Terry Stanley, I don't know if you know who Terry Stanley is, she's the one who's going to be running it. Now, her job is to make sure that when visitors come in here, not only do they feel welcome, but if they want to be engaged, they can be engaged. And then to make sure that they feel integrated into our community, that they find friends. She's going to help us get all the gaps filled in because there are many gaps and they've been here for a long time and they need to be filled in. But she can't do that by herself, right? One person isn't going to make that happen. It's everybody in here who has to make that happen. I want us to be the kind of church where if somebody walks in here and they are alone and friendless and abandoned, that they feel like this can be their new family. I want us to be the kind of church that doesn't just say we believe in love and acceptance, but we demonstrate that with everything we do every Sunday morning and outside of this church. I want us to be the kind of church that lives up to Jesus' expectations. I want us to be the kind of church where we look around this room and we say, here are my mother and my brother and my sisters. Here you are welcomed. Here you are loved. Here you are accepted. Here we do anything for family. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, 
and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.